0: we want to take the next few minutes to hear from God's Word on what the centerpiece of this celebration at this time of year is all about. So would you bow with me and let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you are our Father, that you are our Creator, and that you have showered us with all of these good gifts. You have given us this world and this planet. You have given us the sun. You have given us the stars. You have given us the ability to be warm and to have food to eat. You have given us the gifts of friendship. And you have given us the gift, most importantly, of your love. And so we thank you that this gift of your love to us is what we're celebrating here at Christmas time. And that, Lord, in all of the pageantry and all of the songs, we want to focus in on the heart, which is your gift of love, which was expressed through the form of your son. A little baby. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to us on the majesty and the magnificence of this gift once again this morning. Would you speak uh, through this message to each one of us? In Jesus' name, Amen. One of the great traditions that I enjoy about this time of year is exchanging Christmas cards and pictures. I don't know of any other time of year where we. Get into the, the holiday spirit of exchanging family pictures and and things like that like christmas it 's so great that we can do that now. One of the things that I enjoy about the pictures is you can put them up on your fridge and they remind you of your friends or your family members throughout the year and and you think of them and and you can pray for them and remember them that way. The nice thing about Christmas cards is that often people write a little note in the margins and uh, Often, you know, we we may or may not fully read the printed part of the card, but we'll always read the personal inscription inside it. Just a note of encouragement or a, a way of letting someone know that you were thinking of them. Now, for us as a family, you have not yet received a picture from us because we realized that we didn't have a family picture yet that included Theodore in it. So we were scrambling, and quickly last Sunday, we took a picture with all four of us now, in it, and uh, we're still hoping to have them printed off and to get them to you before Christmas. So I know we're cutting things a little bit close, but it, takes, uh, it makes me feel a little bit better that I know we're not the only ones who sometimes cut things a little bit close at Christmas time. I read a story recently about a woman who had waited until the last minute to send out her Christmas cards, and so the last week before Christmas, she knew that she had 49 people on her list. So she rushed into a store and bought a package of 50 Christmas cards, but being in a hurry, she didn't take the time to read what was printed on the inside of the card. You know, she assumed that it would be one of those generic Christmas greetings. And so still in a big hurry, she addressed the 49 cards and even signed them with, still without reading the message printed on the inside. And so Christmas Day rolled around, things had quieted down somewhat, and she happened to come across the leftover card. And she finally read the message that she had sent to 49 of her friends. And much to her dismay, it read like this. This card is just to say a little gift is on the way. (laughs) So can you imagine when it dawned on her that suddenly 49 of her friends were expecting a gift from her that they were never going to receive? One of the things that I reflected on at this time of year is that unlike this unfortunate woman who was in a hurry, who unwittingly promised gifts that she couldn't deliver, God has made a promise to us in the past. He made a promise to send us a gift, the greatest gift that this world would ever receive, his own son. And unlike that woman who couldn't deliver, God has delivered in the greatest way possible. He delivered the greatest gift that this world has ever seen. And that is the gift that started it all. It is the reason that Christmas is synonymous with giving. And so today I want us to examine what makes this gift that started it all? What makes this gift that we celebrated here this morning in worship and the decorations of this time of year, of Christmas, what makes this gift so significant? What makes it so valuable? Well, the first thing that makes it valuable is because of the one who gave the gift. In the middle of the most famous and beloved Bible verse of all time, one that almost anyone can recite, even if you didn't even if you don't go to church or, or care particularly that much about the message, all of us in Canada, I'm convinced the vast majority of us at least, have heard John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. And these familiar words are are, are ones that we easily dismiss because they're so familiar. And yet, they sum up the heart of what Christmas is all about. And so I want us to focus in on this. The gift is valuable because of the one who gave the gift. In the middle of John 3.16, there are two words that sum up the entire message of the gospel. The entire message of the scripture. Two words in the middle of John 3.16 that say, He gave. He gave. The he is, of course, referring to God. It's not referring to some nobody or even some important person. It's referring to God himself, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He gave. God gave. You see, many times the value of a gift is wrapped up in the one who it was given by. There's an old commercial that some of you might remember from many years ago, a Coca-Cola commercial on TV. Uh, The commercial goes that there's this Pittsburgh Steeler linebacker named Mean Joe Green, who is a famous player of his generation. And Mean Joe Green is shown headed into the player's tunnel uh, and down into the dressing room after a hard-fought game. And a young fan gets his attention as he's going down the tunnel, and he reaches out his hand, and he hands him, of course, a bottle of Coca-Cola. And so he he gives him the bottle of Coke, and Mean Joe Green says, "'Thanks, kid,' and he keeps walking down the tunnel, and suddenly he stops. He turns around, and he takes off his jersey, and he says, "'Hey, kid, catch,' and he throws his sweaty, filthy, grass-stained, torn-up football jersey that he'd just done battle with on the gridiron, and he throws it up to this young fan. And the boy catches it and shouts out, "'Thanks, Mean Joe!' And the look on his face said it all. He had received the ultimate treasure. He had been given a gift, personalized by his idol, Mean Joe Green. And you see, what made that stinky, sweaty, dirty jersey so valuable to this young fan was not the condition it was in. It was not anything to look at. If you were picking through a, a rack at a, at a thrift store or a second-hand store and you came across this jersey in its current condition, you would have, yee, and quickly tried to go buy it without even touching it. And yet, this fan treasured this. So, what was it that made it so valuable? The thing that made it so valuable is that it wasn't just a jersey. It was mean Joe Green's jersey. And he had given it to him. It was a personal gift. And because of that, this jersey was priceless to the young fan because of who gave it to him. You know, I want to ask you, what's the most valuable gift that you've ever been given by someone? You know, a a friend, a family member. What is one of those things that you've been given that you still value, you still treasure to this day? A gift that was given. Can you think of something that you've been given that was so significant you still remember it today? You know, most of us have been given a gift at one time in life or another. So, when you think of that valuable gift, what do you base the value of it on? Is it strictly on the dollars and cents value of it? It's only valuable if it's worth X amount of thousands of dollars? Or are there other things about the gift that make it precious to you, that make it special? You know, I have a little black book. And this little black book's about that big. I I wanted to bring it this morning, and I... I forgot to bring it up front with me. But it's a little black book. It's about this big. And on the front of it, it just says two words. Minister's Manual. Inside is just, a, you know, run-of-the-mill service orders, different scriptures for different types of services. There's nothing particularly significant or remarkable about this little black book. The language in it is very formal, in some ways outdated, antiquated. And the book itself is well-worn and in not that great condition. You'd be lucky to get a dollar for it at the MCC store, if you could sell it at all. But I'll tell you that to me, that little black book is one of the most valuable gifts that I've ever been given. And why? Because it was given to me by Pastor Harms, shortly before he passed away. To me, that gift was far more than just a book, because of who gave it to me and what it symbolized. And every time I pick up that little black book and I think of Mr. Harms using it, I think of him poring over it and marking his little notes in the margins of the services he used and the scriptures he read. And it does something to me to know that he passed it on to me. And I still remember what he said. He said, I'm not needing this anymore, but maybe you can make some use of it. And in those few words, he passed on to me something Valuable, something precious that maybe you couldn't get a dollar for it at the MCC, but to me it's valuable because of who gave it to me. Do you have something that is valuable to you not because of its monetary value, but because of who gave it to you? I hope you do, and I know that many of you will. But no matter how important those gifts are, and no matter how important the givers of those gifts are to us personally, the fact remains that they are still just people. So I want you to think of the most important person in your life who ever gave you something. Who are they? Maybe you're a parent, a mother, a father, a grandparent, brother or sister, a best friend, someone who gave you something so valuable. And you treasure that person and you love them. But now I want you to just take a moment and consider how much more important is a gift given Directly to you by God Himself. In the case of the gift that started it all, the gift itself is actually the most valuable gift ever given. But an integral part of its great value stems in who gave it to us He gave, the Father gave, God gave. The second reason that it's the most valuable gift ever given is the reason that it was given. The first line of John 3.16 say these famous words, For God so loved the world that he gave. This is the reason we are given for the gift, God so loved. In English, we unfortunately only have one word to describe love, and we use it for everything. We say we love our wife or our husband, and we say we love popcorn. You know, it's just something about those two words being used in those different ways, just... I wish we had more words to describe it. And fortunately, the Greek language that it originated from has many more words to describe love than just one. It has four, in fact. In the Greek, these words are storge. Storge love was used to describe things like we love sunrises, we love popcorn, we love beauty, we love the smell of wood smoke on a cold winter's night. That's storge love. The second type is philos love. Philos is Description of brotherly love, how I love my brothers, how I love my parents, how I love my friends. Philos, a brotherly, camaraderie type of a love. This is Philos. And in fact, Philadelphia is stemming from that word, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love as it is known. And so we see that Philos, Eros love. This is the kind that we are often very familiar with at Valentine's Day. You know, we have Cupid shooting his little arrow, and we think of eros love, romantic love, emotional love, the type that is synonymous with hearts, and and we we have physical attraction and all of the things that go along with it. And yet, out of those four definitions in the Greek for love, all of those still fall short of describing the type of love that God has for the world. And so the Christians actually invented a new word to describe this type of love, that word that most of us are probably familiar with is agape. Agape love carries no conditions. It has no limits, and it never ends. Agape is defined as love in action, and it is best expressed by God's gift of giving His Son to the world. That is agape love. George Truitt, a longtime pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, once described what happened to him, an encounter of some people in his church many years ago. He shares that one day the police reached him with a message that a boy who attended his Sunday school at his church had accidentally been shot by another friend. They'd been playing with some firearms, and he had been shot and was in critical condition in the emergency room. And so when Pastor Truitt arrived at the boy's home, or pardon me, at the boy's bedside, The boy was unconscious, and two doctors were treating him. The doctors told Truett that the boy, unfortunately, was not going to make it. They would do what they could, but it didn't look good. And so Pastor Truett found the boy's father in a back room, and he was drunk. In fact, he was still trying to work off a hangover. You see, he was an alcoholic. And it had been his responsibility to be watching these boys while the accident had happened. It had been his gun. And so here he was, trying to grapple with his son lying critically wounded on a hospital bed, and here he was, still in the fog of drunkenness. And the very next day, Pastor Truett went back, and the dad was sobering up. And the father was pacing the floor with tears in his eyes, falling from his face as he looked down at his little suffering son, the nine-year-old boy laying on the hospital bed. And finally, bending over his son, he would say... My little man is getting better. My little man is getting better, and he will soon be well. And over and over again, he would pace the floor and then keep saying this over his son. But finally, the little boy opened his eyes when his father said this over him. My little man is better, and he will soon be well. And the little boy whispered feebly, as well as he could. He said, No, Papa, I will not get well. And the father protested. No, you will get better. You will. And I will become a good man. I will change my ways. But the little boy kept trying to say something. And Truett just sat, bumping a bump in the log in the corner, watching this transpire between father and son. And the father leaned in closer to hear his son whisper, When I'm gone, Papa, I want you to remember that I loved you even when you were drunk. That sentence broke his father's heart. The tears poured down his face. He left the room, and a few minutes later, Pastor Truett went after him, found him lying prone upon his face behind the hospital, sobbing with a broken heart. And the dad said to him, Sir, after my child loves me like that, hadn't I better straighten up and be the right kind of man for him? And Truett then told the dad, I have a story to tell you, that is even ten times greater than that, that God sent his only son to love you. He loved you well enough to come down from heaven and to die for you, himself the just for the unjust, that he might bring you to God. And right then and there, the man yielded his heart to Christ. He allowed God to enter in and change him. And though his son still passed away a short time later, In the months that followed, the man's decision was not a fleeting one. He grew in the faith, and soon he was a regular at the church and prayer meetings, and he would frequently stand up, and with tears, he would give his testimony. He would say of how God reached out and touched him with his love through his son, explaining that it was love that brought him home when everything else around him had failed. People had criticized him. They had scolded him, they had judged him, they had railed at him, and they had shamed him with harsh words because of his drinking. None of it had helped. And his own self-hate and his own self-loathing of what he had become wouldn't change anything either. He was powerless to change himself. Until his son had said to him, Papa, I love you even when you are drunk. It was unconditional love That won the day. Unconditional love when everything else failed. This is a small picture of what agape love looks like. It is unconditional. There are no strings attached. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his love towards us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, he didn't wait Until we'd sobered up. He didn't wait until we'd figured things out to love us. He loved us in our sin. And just like that boy loved his father unconditionally, so too God loves us. This is agape love. To give not based on merit, not based on how deserving the recipient is, or whether or not the person you are giving to can give you anything back. To truly give with agape love is with no strings attached. That is the tangible expression of agape. That is how God feels towards you. And it answers the question, why? Why did God give? God gave because he so loves you that he gave. And so the gift is valuable because of first, who gave it? Secondly, the reason it was given. And thirdly, the gift is valuable because of how it was wrapped It was wrapped in his only begotten son. You see, most Christmas gifts are wrapped so that you can't immediately tell what's inside. It's a sort of camouflage, so that we can be surprised when we open the gift. We didn't know what was inside. We were anticipating what it could be. And so, when it comes to wrapping, there are all sorts of different ways that you can do it. At the Shekinah Christmas party this past week, we did our annual gift exchange. And so... Everyone brings a wrapped gift. You've probably participated in a gift exchange before, where everyone brings a wrapped gift. No one knows what's inside. There's no names attached to them, and you put them in a big pile in the middle, and then everyone draws a number, and that determines the order that people select the gifts, and then there's trading and all. It's a fun game. You've probably done one before. So no one knows what's inside each of the gifts, so it's kind of fun to watch the different people try to determine, to get an idea of what's inside. And so for the men, you know, we pick it up, we shake it, we feel how heavy it is, and all those sorts of things. The reason this is incredibly important for the men especially is because there's always, there's become this tradition of being a sort of white elephant gift thrown into the mix of our Christmas parties. You see, it was maybe four or five years ago when my brother Jamie brought a gift as a gag. And this gift was a, a a CD collector's tin of Tom Jones, and it had all of his greatest hits and albums inside this Tom Jones album. And if any of you are out there saying, "What? what's a gag gift about Tom Jones? I love Tom Jones. I'm sorry. I, I apologize to you. But for the rest of us, it was a gag gift. And so I ended up getting the Tom Jones collector's edition CD tin that first year. And so well, I decided that it'd be fun to hang on to that, I even kept it in its original wrapper, And I re-gifted it for the following year's gift exchange. And so, of course, I re-wrapped it. And I believe the next year, Ray Enns ended up with it. And then the gifts just kind of kept going from year to year. And so it's important to try to figure out which one of these gifts could be that. Because whoever gets it is most likely going to be stuck with it for an entire year. And so it's become sort of this game to try to disguise it. You put it in a bigger bag or a box so it looks like it's a different shape or, you know, trying to trick someone into selecting this gift as a form of camouflage. But once you've opened it up, you've selected the gift and you see what's inside, then you're committed and it's too late. And I don't see him here this morning, but if you are a Tom Jones fan, you can talk to Roy Arnett, He might have a deal for you. But you know what? In a similar way to that gift being wrapped, in a way to almost disguise it, Jesus' true identity was disguised from all but a select few. Because God's gift of love to the world came in a very surprising, unusual way. In a way that most people weren't anticipating. He sent His one and only Son, And the gift of his Son came wrapped not in glory, it came wrapped in humanity. John 1 verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. The Word became flesh. Philippians 2 verse 7 says, But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, he humbled himself. The big word that describes this event is the Incarnation. The incarnation. The root of this is the word karna, meaning body or flesh. We are more familiar with karna in words like carnivore. Carnivore refers to a man or beast that eats meat or eats flesh. I am a carnivore. I enjoy bacon. <laughs> okay, I'm an omnivore because I also have to eat lettuce, right? We've got to balance these things out. But we refer to a carnivore, karna. Now, the word incarnation literally means the act of assuming flesh, whereby the Son of God voluntarily took on a human body and a human nature. Theologian Don Skinner puts it this way, God did not send Christ to us, God came to us in Christ. In other words, God gift-wrapped himself. He bottled up all of his goodness, all of his majesty, all of his glory, all of his love, and somehow he bottled that up and contained it inside human flesh. He contained all of his glory inside the tiny form of a baby with human flesh and blood and marrow. And you know what? I have no idea how the body of the tiny infant Jesus could contain all of the glory of God. It is a great mystery to us that God could so limit himself in the form of a baby. Even as it grew within Mary's womb, this baby was already fully God. It's an awesome thought, a great mystery, one that I suspect we will never fully comprehend. But because God did it, because he contained himself in this gift, because God became one of us, we can now meet with him in a personal way, one-to-one. There's a story of a father who was putting his four-year-old son to bed. And so having done the nighttime rituals of reading stories and having their, their bedtime prayer, he then kissed his son, turned out the light, but immediately as he began going out the door, his son began to cry. the father reached his head back in the room and he asked what's wrong son and the little boy was trying his best to milk bedtime a little bit longer but he says don't leave dad don't leave I'm scared of the dark and I don't want to be alone and so the father tried to encourage the little boy and he reminded him yes you're in the dark and alone but remember God is always with you even in the dark and the little boy responded, "I know God's here with me in the dark, but I want someone with skin on." And you know what a great picture, a great way of thinking of Jesus Christ. He is God with skin on. He is the incarnate God who has been sent to us in the gift of this baby that we remember at Christmas time. In that great Christmas carol, "Hark! The Herald Angels Sing," one of Charles Wesley's most famous hymns. Is a verse that sums up this profound truth of the Incarnation. It says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And that is what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. He has come down to us in the gift of his Son who took on human flesh. That is why this gift is so valuable. Fourthly, this gift is valuable because of how much it cost. We continue in John 3, verse 16. It says, his only begotten son. Not one of many sons, not a, you know, a lesser loved son. He is the only begotten son, the most loved, the most cherished of the Father. Not a throwaway son, the most precious son, the only son of God. Philippians 2, verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How much did this gift cost? You see, God the Father spared no expense. He didn't just give the best that heaven had to offer. He gave the best that he himself had to offer. Because he gave of his own essence. He gave of himself. He did not give of something that was created. He gave of his only begotten, his son. This gift, we can never possibly measure the value of. He gave us something that is one of a kind. And he didn't just give us his son to rule over us. He didn't just send his son to set up dominion of God's kingdom here on earth... In a, in a physical way. He didn't come descended from glory on this big throne and say, Everyone bow down and worship me. He could have done it that way, and we would have done it too. We would have had no choice but to fall down before the awesome splendor of God. But no, he sent him in such an unusual way. He sent us to him, he sent him to us in the form of a baby in the lowliest place, in a barn, in a feed trough. He sent him to us. To poor people, a carpenter who scraped by, a mother who became pregnant out of wedlock, the scandal of it all. And he sent him to us to serve, but not just to serve us with words, but to serve us with self sacrifice. And that is what he took upon himself when he went to the cross. He says, He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He didn't just give his son to rule over us. He sent him to die for us in our place. How much pain the father endured as his only begotten hung on that cross, we can only imagine. That as he was beaten, as the nails went in, as he was mocked and jeered by the crowd, the criminals, the ones he had been sent to die for, I can't even begin to imagine the anguish that transpired between Father and Son as the sin of the world, yours and mine, hung on his shoulders on that cross. What he experienced in those moments as he cried out in agony, Why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, the Father turns his face away. What happened in the universe in that moment? I can't comprehend, but the profoundness of it reaches us even here today. Because in that moment, our sins were erased. If there was a ledger that recorded every last sin that you've ever committed, if there was a filing cabinet that was big enough to contain all of them, in that moment, God said, I'm erasing the ledger, I'm destroying the filing cabinet. Your sins are erased. They are covered. They are finished by the blood of the Lamb. And they are now whiter than snow. And all you have to do is receive it. Accept it for yourself and your sins are gone forever. Amen. Hallelujah. This is what God has done for us because of his love. There's a powerful chorus that says it way better than I ever could. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That's us. We have become God's treasure through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, if you judge the greatness of a gift solely on its cost alone, then the gift that started it all is the greatest gift this universe will ever see. Which leads us to the fifth and final reason that this gift is so valuable, and it is the importance of the gift. John 3:16 concludes, so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 6:23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life, forever and ever and ever through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, in the past I've done some research that I've shared with you, and I want to update it a little bit because it's gotten a little outdated. And the research that I shared with you in the past is that the death rate here in Clarney in the municipality of Turtle Mountain is shockingly 100%. So I've done a little bit more research to see if those stats are still true, and shockingly, they still are. The death rate in Turtle Mountain Municipality is still 100%. Can you believe it? It's 100%. That means you and me, we're in that statistic, aren't we? Someday we will be, unless the Lord returns. And so, this issue of eternal life is of vital importance to each one of us because we fall under that statistic It's not just Turtle Mountain, by the way. It's Manitoba, it's Canada, it's the entire world that falls under that statistic. Everyone dies. It is appointed unto man to die once, and after that, the judgment. And it is at that judgment where eternity will be determined. The Bible calls this the judgment throne of God, and at this point, we will be shown either into the glories of heaven or into a Christless eternity in a place of judgment the Bible calls hell. And so this issue, the importance of eternal life, there is nothing more important in this entire universe than what we do with this gift. And so, when we receive this gift, I hope that you will agree with me in saying you wouldn't trade it for anything else. It is the single most important thing that you have ever received in your entire life or could ever receive because it determines eternal life. You know... We've often received gifts at Christmas time, where we were less than thrilled with them, and so we had to kind of fake our reaction to it, like those itchy wool socks that never stayed on properly that I would get from my grandma. And so, of course, I would open them and say, Oh, wow, grandma, these are great. You shouldn't have. Really. And, of course, those socks inevitably ended up in the bottom of the sock drawer, never to be seen again. And yet in stark contrast to those types of gifts, what could be more important than the gift of eternal life wrapped up in Jesus Christ our Lord? If you've received that gift, are you cherishing it? Or is it tucked away in the bottom of a dusty sock drawer somewhere, never to be seen or heard from again? Are you a a secret Christian who's hiding this away or are you holding it up and saying, this is the most important thing I've ever received and I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to tuck it away. I'm going to put it up on a lampstand. I'm going to shout it on the mountaintops. I'm going to sing it to the world. Jesus is my Lord. He's changed me. He can change you too. Because the best part about the Christmas gift of Jesus Christ is that we can share them without losing a thing. You see, other gifts, we get them and we give them away and then we don't have it anymore. Not so with Jesus. We get him and we give him away. And we've still got him and we give him away. And there's always more to give because Jesus' love is infinite. It is eternal. It is unconditional. He wants you to share it. If you've received it, share it. Hold it up. And remember this. God's gift is just as important to the person who hasn't yet received it as it is to you right now. It's just as important. They just don't know it yet. Think about that. How important is that gift? Would you trade it for anything? It's just as important, just as vital to the person who hasn't yet received it. They just don't know it yet. Maybe they need someone to show them what it looks like. Maybe they need to see the light burning in your life. First John 5, verse 11 to 12 says, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Son of God. Life or death hangs in the balance. Having the gift or not having the gift, my friends, is a big deal. It's a big deal. How much more important could a gift ever be than that? So I want to ask you today have you received the gift? Have you received Jesus? Have you received the Son of God because He he came for you? If you haven't received Him yet, maybe you feel Him knocking at the door of your heart right now. He wants to come in, He wants to take up residence in your heart, in your life. Isn't that awesome? He wants to say, I've already forgiven you. Just receive it. I want to be in a relationship with you. Today could be the day for you. Let God in. Receive that gift for yourself. And for those of you who have received that gift, get it out of the sock drawer. Hold it up. It is the most important, valuable treasure that you could ever receive this Christmas. So remember, the gift is valuable because of the one who gave it the reason it was given, how it was wrapped, how much it cost, and how vitally is it important it is to each and every one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you praise today for this gift, the most costly, important gift, the most beautiful gift, a gift of love, that you poured out on this world. Not through angels, not through some treasure, not through some glorious manifestation of yourself, but through the form of your Son, clothed in humility, to come and die in the place of sinners so that we could become right with you. Thank you for this gift. May we cherish it as we should. May we hold it up high. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who even now feels you saying, just receive me, Open the door of your heart. Let me come in. I want to make things new in your life. Oh, Lord, would you give them the courage right now to just open the door and say, Jesus, I believe. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. I want to be your child. I want to be right with you. I want to live for you. Oh, Father, we know that when this happens, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. And so we rejoice with them, Lord, when one sinner comes to salvation receives this gift for themselves. Bless us as we go and as we continue in this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.